Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this fifth episode of Reaching the Unchurched, 12 Dynamics for Impact. In this exciting episode, we're going to talk about the focus that you can put on the culture of God's kingdom. So, this is dynamic number six. This puts us halfway through the 12 dynamics to reach the unchurched. So, the focus on kingdom culture, that's dynamic number six, that we should focus on kingdom culture. Now, this is not normal. This is not natural. I get it. I know what's natural. I've been in enough churches, and we've met with enough Christians, worked with enough church leaders to know everybody, all things being equal, everybody wants a quick fix program to revolutionize their church. And if we at Church Doctor Ministries were interested in money and success in the worldly sense, we would put out box after box of programs and 12 weeks to do this, 10 weeks to do that, and say you'll turn around your church. And then after a few years, the word will get around and it'll all be gone. Besides that, we'd never do it because it's just not who we are. We're kingdom people. There is no quick fix program for a church. And I know that we live in an age where everybody wants it instantly. And so, you know, if you don't know what's going on, don't study too hard. Ask Siri. But changing the posture of people is what Jesus did. If the Son of God worked day and night round the clock with these 12 guys, do you really think you can do it with a 10-week program? Actually, churches spend too much time in programs, too much of their time. I'm speaking generally. I understand. It's generalization. But generally, churches, most churches, spend way too much time wearing out people with short-term programs and not enough time growing people in kingdom culture. So when you study Jesus and say, I want to do what Jesus did, or ask the question, what would Jesus do if he was a pastor of your church? Well, if you look at the record in the Gospels and uh, the approach of others, like the Apostle Paul and Peter and some others, you'll see what these guys did. And you'll understand what it means to make disciples. It isn't just to gather a bunch of people and wear them out doing programs and preach at them from the Bible. Some, some of that stuff is really good and important and useful, but we're way overboard on that end of stuff. And I'll tell you, it, it's hard for people to get this through their head because right away they want to ask, well, when are we going to do something? Well, it isn't about that. Jesus showed the disciples how to do some kinds of ministry, yes, but in a long process. But his major emphasis was on who they would become. And it's just counterintuitive to many people today to say, if we just focus on helping people become someone different, someone God wants them to be, a more mature disciple of Jesus Christ, that it'll start a whole new movement in our church. 
And before long, it'll be exponential growth like wildfire out of control. It's a hard sell. In fact, I don't think any human being gets it without a a hard look upon Jesus and the faith to trust him. So let's talk about this kingdom culture. It's spiritual DNA. I think that if people back in Jesus' day would have known about DNA, he would have talked about it. Uh, But back then they would have said, what? They said that enough already with some of the things he said. So, you know, that would really blow their minds. So, you know, he couldn't talk about DNA. Today we can talk about DNA. We understand all that it is, sort of, and all that it does, sort of. I mean, it's a big deal to comprehend it too much. But, but yeah, we kind of get it. We know the end result is huge. And so that's what he did. He impregnated in those disciples kingdom DNA and put them together in a small group. And it became called a church, those who are called out. And collectively, they represent kingdom culture. Now, that's great theory, but I'll tell you what. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a great theologian to understand that churches are all over the map in how dominant kingdom culture is revealed in the atmosphere of the church. Every church is different. And for many churches, if you looked at them 20 years ago, It was more prevalent, that kingdom culture, than it is today, which means we're losing ground. And uh, in our frantic concern about where's the future of the church, we jump to programs and quick fixes. It's not going to work. Never has. Never will. So kingdom culture, and if you're familiar with who broke my church, I'm kind of rehearsing this for you. But basically, as we did the research, we discovered if you look at kingdom culture, It's made up of five elements of DNA, if you will. The first one is values. Values are what you consider to be important. These are things that are non-negotiable. These things are really, really important. Is the salvation of unchurched people in your social network really important? Is it important to Jesus? Well, I think so. He died for that. That would be, he came for that. He died for that. He gave up his body for that, sacrificed his life for that. I think that's uh, pretty fair to say that's a, a value that we should have. But do we? Does everybody? Is that the imprint of your church? Do all the things that eat up people's time, energy, and money reflect that? Values are what we think is important. The second part of the DNA of kingdom culture is beliefs. Beliefs are those things you believe are truth. They're non-negotiable too. This is truth and I don't care what science thinks. I don't care what the new greatest latest theory about the universe is. Sooner or later it's proved wrong anyhow over time. And so it's just an issue that, yeah, this is truth and truth is truth. And so I'm not going to jump for the latest theory. And this truth drives my behavior. No, I'm not perfect. I mess up sometimes. 
That's why forgiveness and Jesus is so important to me is because, no, I got a long way to go. I'll die with a long way to go. I want to continue to grow and be better. But you know what? God knows me better than you do or anybody knows me. And I know I'm way from the mark. And so that forgiveness is really important to me. Yeah, that's a belief. That's a truth. All of it's true. I'm not perfect. I need the Savior. That's a truth. And I live with it every day. The third part of kingdom culture is attitudes. This is your general posture toward God. On some issues, people place themselves above God. Those are the yeah, but. Yeah, I know the Bible says that, but. Yeah, but people. It says something about their values. For some people, their values are are so high in worship that unless they're hindered beyond their control, they're going to be worshiping God. Some people in the church have that value for worship and that posture, not above God, but under God. And so their posture, their attitude, shaped by their values, it's all connected, their beliefs, is that they need to continue to learn the Bible the rest of their life because every time you read it, you learn something new. Every new version that comes along, you read it, you get a new nuance. Every time you're a year older, you look at the Bible a little bit differently and you get more out of it. It is the most amazing piece of literature in the universe. It is just so rich and so amazing. But some people have the posture under the Bible saying, I need it. I need to know more and more and more. Other people have a posture kind of in the middle that says, you know, I hear a sermon that's good enough for me. Some people say, well, you know, I I read the Bible at home once in a while, and that's enough for me. That's a posture. Some people say, I need to be in a small group because I can learn from other people, not just what they know, but some of the things they ask some of the things they're struggling with. And that raises my understanding of that Bible verse to a whole nother level. That's a posture. And there are postures about reaching the lost. There are postures about what do I do with my money? What's important to spend money on? What do I give to God's work? How do I support that kid that wants to go on a mission trip? How do I raise my kids? All those things are postures or attitudes toward God. You know, on the issue of attitude, if you've ever been in an airplane, a, a big airplane, you know that airplanes do not fly flat. No matter how high the altitude, they don't fly flat. They always fly on a little bit of an angle with the nose of the airplane a little bit up. And on a big airplane, there's a guy up there in the cockpit called an engineer, and he is constantly trimming that angle to the exact right spot. Why? Because when they're in the exact right angle, that plane goes the fastest in terms of airspeed. And the right exact angle is when they use the least amount of fuel. It's the most efficient, the fastest, when they hit that sweet spot, that angle. And the reason I'm telling you that is that's called the attitude of the airplane. And that's the way I remember attitudes. It's getting into the sweet spot with God, the right angle with God for every aspect of your life. It's also true of sailing. I've seen people, I've done it myself sailing, where you're in choppy seas and the wind is roaring 
and the sails are flapping and you think you're moving, but the angle is wrong of the sail. And actually what you're doing is you're standing exactly still. And when you look and pinpoint someone on shore, someplace on shore, you see, well, that's the same place we were 15 minutes ago. In sailing terms, that's called being in irons. <laughs> you got your anchor out and you're in irons. You're not moving, but it sure feels good. <laughs> and then you realize you're not making progress. That's the attitude of what it means in sailing. That right angle of your sails is really important for the wind that goes by the sails, causes a vacuum for the boat to move forward. It's a fascinating reality. The fourth area of kingdom culture is priorities. Priorities are what, are what you will almost always do first and second and third. And in complicated life, you choose priorities consciously or unconsciously, biblically or without God, hundred times a day. There are so many choices. You turn on the television, you grab the remote, you're making choices. You're making choices with your time. When you go to bed or whether you stay up, how much sleep you need, you are making choices. How you take care of your body, what you eat, what you order at the restaurant, you're making choices. Hundreds of choices every day. And in the kingdom of God, a lot of what Jesus teaches about are not just about values, beliefs, and attitudes, but also about your priorities. You might remember Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be given to you. That pretty much summarizes everything about priorities. Put God first Everything and everything else that you want so much, all these things that you need or you think that you need, whatever he thinks you need, you'll be just fine. That's kingdom culture. Seek first the kingdom of God. Think about that for your church. Do we seek first his kingdom and all that means and all we learn about it? The last one of the five is worldviews. This is how you understand the world and the way the world works. Some people in the church have the worldview that nobody's interested in Jesus anymore. Eh, those people at work that don't go to church, I'm not going to attempt to become friends with them or start a conversation where I might be able to share something with them because it'd be a waste of time. They don't care. Not so. That's a worldview that you have, and it's a wrong worldview. There are worldviews coming at you from the world of politics, the world of science, the world of movies, books, the entertainment world, all these things. And if you don't make a conscious decision about everything and say, you know, that's entertaining, but that's not my worldview. Television, everything, magazines, newspapers, all these things, you could get caught up in worldviews that aren't in tune with the kingdom of God. It's very, very easy. And so this five-part complexity of kingdom culture 
is kind of the centerpiece of the book, Who Broke My Church? But what I want to talk about is Jesus said something very interesting about the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God is like yeast or leaven. We, we call it yeast today. It's like yeast in bread dough. Have you ever watched a loaf of bread rise? Gosh, it seems like forever. And I know when I've done that, I get impatient. I say, you know what? I got better things to do. By the way, that's a worldview. Or it's a priority. Or it might be a value. I don't know. But I say, you know what? This is just sitting here doing nothing. I leave the room. I come back. Boom. It is like totally different. It's now bigger. Uh, It's absolutely amazing. Now, why did Jesus tell the disciples, why is Jesus telling you and me, the kingdom of God, which has lots of different characteristics, all these teachings about the kingdom of God, is like yeast in bread dough. So what did Jesus mean? What was he teaching about the kingdom of God? Is like yeast in bread. Well, for one thing, it's not visible. I mean, when you put a little yeast in, in bread, if you put too much in it, you, you ruin it. I mean, it takes very little. And whatever that stuff is, it's not very big. It, it's not, you know, it isn't like you drop it on the floor, you try to figure out where it went. I mean, it's just like, wow. And my point is this. You can wow people in your church with a visible program with all of its bells and whistles. And human nature being what it is and people that aren't deep into the kingdom of God. If you you try to grow the kingdom among those people, little by little, it's a slow process. Not going to be very long and they're going to say, when are we going to do something? All we do is talk about this stuff. All we're doing is, well, you get out the yeast thing and tell them. Yeah. Yeah, turn to this passage in the Bible. Jesus said, kingdom of God is like yeast. Let's talk about that. Not very visible. It's not a program. It's not a whiz-bang hallelujah deal. It's not an activity. It's a growth process. Anybody that knows anything about yeast and bread, it is a growth process. It's slow. It's minuscule. It has no fanfare. And guess what? It changes everything. It changes everything. Bread with yeast next to unleavened bread is 100% totally different. Totally different. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. There's another point where Jesus talks about yeast to the disciples. Very interesting and unusual comment. He said to his disciples, guys... Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. I don't know. If I'd have been one of the disciples, I would have said, I didn't know those guys were bakers. (laughs) You know, I'd have been one of those slow disciples that caught on uh, behind everybody else probably. What was he talking about? What was he talking about? Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Obviously, this isn't about baking bread. The yeast of the Pharisees, watch out for that. What was he saying? He was saying that their values, their beliefs, their attitudes, their priorities, and their worldviews would contaminate 
his kingdom. And so they were at odds with him, weren't they? Very much so, except for a few converts. But by and large, they were on a different path. Let me ask you this. What would Jesus say about the yeast of the people of your church? The kingdom culture in your church. And what would Jesus say about the leaders of your church and how their actions reveal how important all the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God and its culture really is? Is that something that's really a priority? If it isn't, you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to have results from what you don't do. And if you really help people grow in the kingdom culture, God's going to bring you results that blow your mind. But it's not fanfare. I know it's a hard sell. Hey, Jesus is a hard sell. If you really want to do kingdom stuff, yeah, it's not what we normally think about. It's divine. It's heavenly. It's Jesus. So Jesus had a culture clash with the Pharisees. And as you work in your church, you're going to have a culture class about the kingdom of God with people in your church. And if you don't have the patience of Jesus to spend a long time and point to Scripture, not have arguments or rational things or get buried in programs, but if you do that, you're going to see results because yeast is culture. So what happened to this guy by the name of Paul, the persecutor, after he ran into Jesus on the Damascus Road? Was his culture any different? Oh, my gosh. This guy was a persecutor of Christians. This guy was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, in his own words. This guy was a phenomenal asset to the kingdom. Oh, how do I wish everybody in our churches could have a Damascus Road experience. But when you look at the disciples, he was only one of the 12, minus Judas plus Paul. So that isn't going to happen. Some people are going to just jump and say, I get it, I get it. And they're going to be on fire. I think God gives us those people, the Paul people, just to give us some encouragement. But the majority don't count on it. Jesus didn't work that way for Jesus. You're not going to improve on Jesus. So what is yeast? I want to give you a definition of yeast. And this is from biblical scholars. I looked it up. The word yeast, the way Jesus uses it, is so valuable. You've got to write this down and don't forget it. And tell everybody you know. And then look at these passages about the yeast of the Pharisees. Or the kingdom of God is like yeast and bread dough. Because the word yeast, the way it's used in the Bible, means unconscious influence. Unconscious influence. Now, I want to tell you that is not a program in your church. That's a conscious activity. Unconscious influence is that I'm a different person. I've grown to have different values, different beliefs different attitudes, different priorities, different worldviews. And I'm not perfect. And I'm not going to quit growing either. But I have grown enough that this has changed my life. 
And I wanted to change it some more to the point where I don't have to consciously think about my friend at work who doesn't know Jesus. This is not something I do. No, I'm not a missionary because I'm in a mission program. No, this isn't anything I do. This is 100% who I am, 24-7. I wake up this way and I go to bed this way. I eat this way. I drink this way. I recreate this way. I work this way. This is who I am. That's what the kingdom is all about. Unconscious influence. You get a handful of people in your church and they catch this unconscious influence And you would already have some. You just marvel at what great Christians they are. Not perfect, but great. You multiply that. And yes, you'll see a spontaneous movement. It happens every time. Every time in history. This is the silent, powerful change that takes place in Christians. People just like you and me. With all of our faults, all of our weaknesses, little by little, it is absolutely a miracle. So here's the deal. Yeast, in order to work, must have the right temperature of water. It must have the right atmosphere. So what happens when Christians and churches catch fire? The atmosphere just grows and grows and grows. I'm telling you, I know it's a hard sell. It's an uphill battle. But I'm telling you, it's all about culture. It's not about programs. I know the human tendency. I know what people like to do, the quick fix. Give me something to do. Do, do, do. How about be? How about become? This is who you are, not what you do. Unconscious influence. This is who we become personally. It's a slow, intentional process. We've run into a few uh, pastors where they've read Who Broke My Church. And uh, I don't mean to keep going back to the book, but they've read the book. They know about this kingdom culture. And God bless these pastors. I love them. But basically what they say is, yeah, I read it. It was really good. Yeah, I really liked it. And that's the end of the conversation. Ask them a few more questions. Nope, that's where it ended. So what went wrong? What went wrong with them is they looked at it as an academic exercise. Yeah, they really liked it. Well, I don't want, I'm not trying to please anybody. That book isn't supposed to please. Actually, if anything, it should make somebody uncomfortable. Like, oh my goodness, we need to change. So, okay, I'm glad they liked it. But really... The reason we wrote that book and the reason we wrote the discussion guide, the group gathering guide for that book, is because changing culture is a process. And so when people meet in a group, not when one person reads it by themselves at a time, even if they think about it as they read, but as a process where people process it and ask questions and say, well, that makes me uncomfortable to hear that. That's wonderful. And other people speak into that in a small group. If you want a movement and not just a, something that's come and gone, get people together in a, in a discussion group. 
Use the discussion guide. It's on Amazon.com. And then let them talk about it, even their challenges that they face. And the questions that I put in there are for that purpose, is to surface some of the discontent and or discomfort that people have. That's good. That's really good. Let other people speak to that and work that process. It's like kneading dough, if you will, if you let me go back to that metaphor, like kneading the dough and adding that great, wonderful yeast. And so culture is more caught than taught. It's not simply what you know. It's who you are and who you become. So the strategy that you can use is get a couple of surveys that we've developed, give them to everyone that will take it in your church, send them to us, we'll score the results, and we'll tell you who's scored in the holy discontent column. They'll have names on it, so we'll be able to tell you who they are and challenge them to participate in small groups using the discussion guide for 12 weeks. Or not 12 weeks, but 12 times they meet over 12 months. I don't care. doesn't matter how often they meet. But 12 times they meet. And uh, you'll see the difference. But you got to think movement. you got to think process. you got to think yeast. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.